Hola. You're listening to another episode of Life in Paradise Podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Today is Sunday, September 11th, 2022. I'm glad you chose to tune in to today's program. I have lots and lots to talk about. If you've never listened before, I appreciate you listening. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. I think the world could be a better place if we could all disagree without being disagreeable. And while I poke fun of people and make jokes, I still think it's important to communicate with each other with respect. Until one person steps out of line, then things got to change. Nonetheless, some of the things I say you'll agree with and others you won't. And I'm perfectly okay with that. The world would be a boring place if we all agreed about everything all the time. With that in mind, sit back, relax, and enjoy the downhill slide for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Oh yeah, if there's one thing you know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. Welcome back. If it isn't just another life in the day of paradise, I don't know what is. Man, the heat has finally broke. For some reason, this year, I remember the specific day when I'm like, whoa, it does not feel as hot anymore. And so the heat is starting to subside a little bit. And I don't ever remember really being able to notice it until like mid to late September ever before. And so here we are early, it was late August when I felt it, here we are early September, and it's actually pleasant outdoors. Although my backyard is so wet, I can't mow it, or let's be honest, I can't have it mowed. The mower will get stuck, there's still standing water. Ugh. If it's not pouring, it's drought. One or the other, take your pick. If it ain't Trump, it's Biden. Take your pick. Speaking of Biden, you know... You know, I brought some some more data, some more clips, some more slurry speech, some more confusion, some more perversion. I am now in the camp, and call me a, you can call me a A right-wing conspiracy theorist if you want to, but I'm of the opinion that Biden's a pedophile, and I'm just going to say it. They'll probably shut me down. Hey, listen, if my body is found, I did not kill myself, okay? So just so you know that. In case the Clintons are listening, Clintons, I'm just joking. But I do think he is. I've seen enough hair sniffing. I've seen enough grabbing little girls and pulling them towards him. I believe that his son actually has his dad's name stored in his phone. His pedo Joe or whatever it was. I believe all that. You don't have to. That's okay if you don't. Here's a little clip from Biden over the weekend at a speech talking to a little girl. Just listen to yourself. Don't don't listen to me. Don't believe me. Do your own research. But just listen. I want you to listen to his tone of voice. How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? Almost double figures. 
Okay, it was tough to hear. But he said, how old are you, baby? How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? He gets a little frustrated. And she's like, nine? He's like, oh, almost double figures. I feel like he didn't really know what to say. Now, the way that he said baby is not the way you would talk to a nine-year-old girl. Well, maybe you would. It's not the way that I would talk to a nine-year-old girl. How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? Almost double fi- How old are you? How old are you? How are you, baby? How old, baby? Who, baby? Who, baby? Who, baby? Who, baby? How, baby? Baby? How old are you? All right. So right How here, old are you? He said nine. Almost double figure. You hear that where she says nine? It's really hard to hear, but you can hear it if you listen closely. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't think I am. I think Joe Biden does or would like to do bad things with children. I don't know if he has. I'm not saying he's guilty of that. But I'm saying if he's not, I think he would. He would He would dabble, I think. Ugh, so disgusting. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I really, really hope that we have not elected the president who's into little children. That would be the epitome of something that I, <laughs> I can't think of the word. But you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's it's gross that we pick these people. It's sad. Everyone who hates Trump would deny it because of how much they hate Trump. And that's just a bad position to be in. How are you, baby? How old are you? How old are you? Almost double figures. Almost double figures. There you go, Joe. Okay, moving along. You get the idea about Bo Jiden. I'm, if, in case you don't know, for those of you who don't listen, you know, I'm just not a big fan. I'm not a big fan. Got them $1.9 trillion relief so far. Oh, Joe Biden. And that's just, that's just the way it is. You're going to have to just hear the clips. You're going to have to just hear my rants. And that's just that's how it's going to be. Speaking of how it's going to be, I heard a story last week that I thought was interesting. And I thought, you know, I got to share that one with my people. And that's the story of Netflix. Of course, everyone knows what Netflix is. I don't need to pretend like you don't. I'd be curious to hear everyone's Netflix adoption story. I remember mine. I got in at the point when they were still mailing DVDs, and you could either select one at a time, two at a time, or three at a time. And it was $10 a month, and you could have them as long as you wanted to. You didn't have to worry about late fees. But the business model has, has evolved, and I was watching a documentary about it, and it was really cool, and it really, well, I'll get to my point, but it struck me to talk about something, and that's the true American spirit of the entrepreneur and the free market that we have in this country. And while they're restricting us and, and constricting and th- making things tighter and taxes bigger and more regulation, we still have lots of freedom. But it's important that we recognize that. We don't throw it away. We don't just say, well, politicians are just going to do what politicians do because one day it's going to look like the country that we all agreed to leave from. But Netflix started out with two guys, and they knew all they knew was that they wanted to start an Internet company. They wanted to sell something on the Internet. Bright guys, willing to work hard, and they just started grinding. And they thought, what if we did customizable surfboards? And they thought, no, we don't need something that requires custom make. We don't want to make one at a time. They wanted to make things that got used frequently, 
and that were cheap enough to where people didn't really worry about it. So they wanted to be, we want to be recession-proof. And so they, they brainstormed and they had all these factors of what they wanted to do. And so they settled on Netflix, the original model, which was you, I think you could buy. You could buy the DVDs through them or you could rent them. The problem that they were having is that everyone was buying them and they couldn't make any money because people were just buying them. So they went to, I think, Amazon. No, they went to Blockbuster. They tried to sell out to Blockbuster for you know a good amount of money. Blockbuster was like, nah, you're never going to make it. We will crush you. Of course, we all know how that went. And so we all know how the model evolved, right? You used to, when I started, you would look at your list and you would select movies and you just put them in order. And whenever your DVD showed up at their warehouse, the other one would just come out. If that one wasn't available, it would just go to the next one. And you had this big, long queue of movies that it would just keep firing movies to you. I loved it. It was great. Then they switched over to the subscription web-based. A combination of both is what I had. I could either stream them or get the DVDs. Then eventually we all ended the DVD thing, and now we just stream Netflix. But along the way, there was lots of troubles. The company almost went broke a few times. They had to get creative. Well, one of the schemes along the way was it was right after the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal where he did have sex relations with that woman, Monica Lewinsky, but he lied about it. And so this was before, I guess it was before anyone had DVR or maybe it was VCR Plus that was big back then, but everyone wanted to watch the trial and there was no way to watch it because they aired it live on TV, but it was in the middle of the work day back when people actually went to work and they worked their asses off all day. So people were like, I want to watch this trial. Just like these fools want to watch this Amber Heard, whoever this person is, trial. So Netflix made a deal where they would sell you the Monica Lewinsky, uh, Bill Clinton trial on DVD for two cents. And they thought, man, this is going to be great. People are going to come to the website. They're going to see it. And they're going to, you know, order the, the DVD and they'll maybe, you know, rent some other movies while they're at it. Well, they contracted out the production of the DVDs to some company who professionally just stamped out DVDs on a mass scale, right? So if you make movies or whatever, you need someone to make your DVDs for you, these guys would do it. Well, the Netflix movies, they told the people who made the DVDs, or the, the video of the Lewinsky trial, they said, we don't care about any labels. We want to make these things as cheaply as possible. We're going to buy them from you for two cents. We're going to turn around and sell them for two cents or whatever it was. They were just barely breaking even. And so this company's like, okay, whatever. So they they did it. They made the deal, and the company starts mailing them out. Well, they got DVDs mixed up with someone else they were working with. And so they sent all these Netflix subscribers these hardcore porn DVDs. And by the time they figured it out, like tons and tons of people had already received them. And Netflix, the guys were flipping out. They were like, oh, no, this is going to end us. And you, what do you think it did? The exact opposite. It put them on the map. And that just goes to show you that, man, sometimes you just keep grinding and you got to throw darts and you got to try things as a business owner and you never know what's going to work. But the minute you stop innovating, the minute you stop trying to figure out what to do better or something else you can add to make people buy your product, that's probably when things start going downhill. You know, we, there, there's some huge companies in the U.S. and we don't learn about them until they're they're really, really big. And we're like, oh, man, Netflix blew up. It wasn't necessarily that Netflix blew up. 
they've been grinding since long before you had heard of the word Netflix. It's just that once they got into the spotlight, you saw the tail end of their parabolic growth. And so you thought they just blew up. But anyway, I just put that in my notes. I thought that'd be funny to share how, you know, sometimes creativity can can backfire and then really it doesn't backfire. It did what you wanted it to do just in a different way. It's a very, very funny story. The message said, end of message. Here's uh, Slow Mo Joe telling us how much he's going to redo it. One trillion five hundred thousand. You know how much? You know how much I'm going to do with the deficit this year? One trillion five hundred thousand. You know how much I'm going to do with the deficit this year? One trillion five hundred thousand. Well, at least he's reducing the deficit this year. One trillion five hundred thousand, which I suspect he read it incorrectly. Because one trillion five hundred thousand would be one comma zero 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 comma five zero zero comma zero zero zero. And I think that would have thrown him off. I don't think he could have handled that. I think it was one point five trillion, not one trillion five hundred thousand. But you know what? He's sharp as attack. Let's let him lead, lead the free world into battle. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. <laughs> Do what to our troops, Joey? Protect our troops. That man tried to say protect, and he said prect. Protect our troops. I know. I know. I shouldn't be so hard on him. He does have a stuttering problem. I have a question. Maybe you can answer this. Perhaps we shall pontificate together accordingly. I was thinking about sitcoms the other day. I don't know why, I don't know what it was that made me think about sitcoms, but I think we can all admit that the humor just doesn't carry over to today, right? It was this scripted laugh tracks, you know, just this very predictable humor that um, for whatever reason we, we grew out of it, right? Our culture changed, our interests changed, our priorities changed. Now we got to make TV shows about Everyone cheating on everyone and people ripping people off and killing people. And so whatever, for whatever reason, the sitcoms are kind of done. But I thought about the different characters in the TV shows and how basically you could take a certain character like the dad and you could just take the guy to one show and put him in another show. And so I started thinking about all the dad characters and in all the 90s sitcoms and probably the 80s too, but I grew up watching 90s sitcoms. In 80s, but the dad is kind of this dopey, stupid, no one really respects him, like not a hero. They make fun of him. You know, Tim the Toolman Taylor tries to do manly things, but the wife and the kids are always laughing at him. And what was the, the Carl Winslow was the cop in Chicago and everyone kind of made fun of him. You know, you can kind of apply this to all the old TV shows that you remember. And I honestly think that that had an impact on the way that we look at dads and men in our culture. I don't think they intended it to do that. I think they thought, what what is the funniest way that we can portray dad so we can get the most viewers? And so they picked the goofy, silly, dopey character that everyone was kind of the bottom of the totem pole. He didn't lead the household. He wasn't the decision maker. 
You know, he always got smarted off to by the wife and the kids. And looking back on it, I wish we wouldn't have done that. I wish we wouldn't have because we're faced now with that. I feel like there's kind of that connotation for dads. You know what? Maybe it was there before the TV shows. And it's hard to know because I wasn't around before that. I wasn't old enough to remember. But let's just say that even if that was the way that everyone saw dads, why not portray dad as a hero? Like, he's a cop. He's fighting crime all day. He comes home and he gets beat up. And the, the less at the end of the show, instead of trying to have some um, lesson, right? Because they always kind of ended it with a lesson. I remember Full House. You know, it always, there was always something to be learned, which I like. I think that's a good thing. But I wish that they would have, you know, portrayed the dad as a cape wearer, as the, you know, the leader, as the person who gets respected in the household. It would be interesting to rewind time and see if that had any effect on the way we are now. Because I think it's clear, at least in my opinion, the way that I see things in my little bubble, which I'll admit is anecdotal, there's no way to measure this kind of thing. This is all opinion. So there's no way that someone could sit there and tell me, you're wrong, Brandon. You don't even know what you're talking about. Because this is all an opinion. And this is just my opinion. Is that now, as we go into the future, dads kind of have this rap. You go get the dad bod, and it's the stupid dad jokes. And, you know, it's kind of funny. And that's just, that's just a little bit of, of what I'm saying. But I think we can kind of all agree that a lot of dads just have like a goofy, dopey rap. And I think it's a lot of the mom's responsibility to help paint dad as a hero. You know, if, you have, if you're married to someone and you want your kids to be like him, you should, you should make sure that happens. You should make sure that your husband is a good role model for the kids. And you can, you can tell the kids, look up to your dad. You know, look, look at what your dad's done. Look at how he manages the finances. Look at how great the yard is. Look how immaculate your dad keeps these cars. Tell him thank you. You know, all these things that we could do to, to build dad up. And that would just equate to little kids growing into being stronger dads. And then they could do the same thing for their kids. Because leadership is something that usually has to be taught or observed. I just think that the more we teach kids, or we, if we don't specifically teach them, you need to be like this then they're just going to fall to what's happening around them. They're going to be like the kids in the TV show who make fun of dad and, you know, tell they cuss their dad out like old Bart Simpson used to do. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Ha ha. That's another one. Homer Simpson, you know, everyone just made fun of him. And, you know, they're always unhappy with their life and they always have this job that they don't like to go to. I don't know. I'm just, just sharing my thoughts. I wish things were a little bit different. That's all. If we could think about things before we put them out there. And, and I think that we probably didn't realize what a large effect media has on people's behavior because we've never really been able to measure it or observe it until right now or within the last five, ten years, maybe. Because I do, I truly think that the less we teach our culture how to be respectfully outspoken, leaders, decision makers, calculated risk takers, the less we teach that, the less it's going to happen. And whenever you have a nation that started out as a group of people who had had enough with where they were living, they didn't know where they were going, they didn't know what it was going to be like, but they were leaving for good and they knew they were never coming back. You think about the percentage of people who would do that today compared to who did it back then, 
It's tiny. It's I don't I don't know one person. I don't think I don't think I know one person who would just go somewhere with the intent of never coming back and knowing that you're never going to see these people again or or thinking that you might not. Do you know anybody? So if you're a mom and you love your husband, put him up on the pedestal. Teach teach the child to be like him. Don't point out the bad things in him. Point out the good things. If if you can convince your kid to put down the tablet for, for long enough to listen. Brandon, you just think you know a lot about kids because you can train dogs. Well, dogs aren't kids, Brandon. I made a mistake. I said it 14 years ago. I trusted George Bush to keep his word. He said he was not going to go into Iraq. The only way we're going to get rid of Saddam Hussein, and it's going to require... Guys like you in uniform to be back on foot in the desert taking the son of a, the uh, taking Saddam down. From the moment shock and awe started, from that moment, I was opposed to the effort and I was outspoken. Go back and listen to that if you missed any of it. It's Joe Biden doing some double talk. You know, you hear a lot of people bitch about taxes. Taxes are too high. Taxes are so high. Taxes are high. I can't believe they're raising taxes. And what happens? What do these people do? They just get mad and bitch about taxes? They don't do anything? Well, I guess I just got to pay it. I remember hearing a statistic a while back, and it claimed that the only thing that people are scared of more than public speaking is the IRS. Because if you don't pay them, they will put you in jail. So that got me to thinking about our founding fathers and what what they thought about taxes and what... What tax rate they were at whenever they got mad and they threw all the tea into the harbor at the Boston Tea Party, which they didn't destroy one thing. Well, no, they did. They destroyed one lock at which they replaced the next day. So you have these dudes. They said, you know what? We're sick and tired of King Mohammed. No, I'm just kidding. His name wasn't Mohammed. But they're sick and tired of the king. And so... They're moving over here. They're leaving everything behind. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what it's like there. They don't know what the weather's like. There's no internet. They're just going. And they thought to themselves, I'm not going to keep busting my ass for King Mohammed over here and giving him all my money. He takes too much. We're going to go over there where there's no king, and we're going to do this thing on our own. So they get in their little canoes, and they come over. And eventually the king's like, nah, bro, that's my hood too. That's my hood because y'all went there. And so, no, I'm I'm the boss of that place. And after enough time of them paying taxes without getting anything in return, they said, screw this. We're taking, we're, we're taking your tea. We're throwing it in the ocean. Well, what was that tax rate? How much were they paying? It made them mad enough to go break into a shipyard and offload a boat into the ocean. You want to take a guess? I'm going to just sit here and think, what percent of their taxes... Do they have to pay? Or what percent of their money? Uh, I'm, I'm sounding as stupid as Joe Biden right now. What was their tax rate at which set them off? One and a half percent. One and a half percent. And, you know, here we are scared that if we don't pay our 20, 30, in some places like California, 40 percent. I saw a deal the other day that broke down taxes in California. That person made $1.5 million. They lived in an efficiency because they couldn't afford anything else. They made $1.5 million. They took home about 600000 It was over 50% in taxes. So 
We're just over here saying, oh, man, I hope I don't get audited. I hope if I do, I don't go to jail. I just I just want to pay my 40%, my 50% and be left alone. Why? What what would happen if we all just like, no, we're not we're paying half of your taxes and you people have to figure it out. They wouldn't be able to do anything. Now, I'm probably going to get abducted by the men in the black suits for inspiring an insurrection or something stupid. I don't know what the solution is. But if we don't keep pushing back, it'll just continue to grow. I know there's a lot of people who say, no, it won't. It'll eventually stop. What's the longest we've ever gone without raising taxes? I'm not going to give you the answer. I'd like for you to go look it up. Look for the, the longest period of time that the U.S. has gone without increasing the income taxes. You take a look at that and formulate your own opinion. So think about it like this. The government needs money. They need money coming in to fund their projects and the things they do. And all of these laws they put into place. Because remember, regulations cost money. Anytime you make a law, you have to enforce it. You have to maintain it. You have to make sure that everyone's following it. And when I use the word law, I'm speaking loosely, right? Any kind of regulation, anything the government passes, any bill that this goofball signs, it's got to be managed. It costs money. This is why... The, the ratio of government employees to the ratio of citizens, non-government employees, has not changed since like the 1700s, I think. Actually, I think that I looked it up since 1913, since the income tax was put into place. Number of government employees, I, let's just say that it's like, you know, 0.25 government employees for every one citizen. That, that ratio hasn't changed. So, yeah, we've gotten way more citizens. But we've also gotten way more government employees. Now, someone might say, well, that's consistent, right? We didn't really grow the government. We didn't shrink the government. We just The government's maintaining the same size. Au contraire. Look at how far technology has come. Look at how many other industries have decreased the need for more humans. It's The only reason that they have to keep adding humans is because of how inefficient they are. They can't figure out how to do things. They, can't, they don't have motivated people. They don't have innovators taking care of things. They have people who will work if you pay enough money, but they're not going to work that hard. And that's, that's who the government hires. There's no incentive for them to hire the most efficient or the fastest working or the, the best communicators. They don't, it doesn't matter. You fill a role. You never get fired. You get your paycheck. You do your job, you know, just subpar, a little bit underneath of what's expected of you. They set the expectations low. You get all sorts of holidays. You get a lifetime pension. And those are the kinds of people who work for the government. So every time you enact a new piece of legislation, you need more people to manage it. Well, then what happens? Then you're like, oh, no. Now we need more money to pay the people that we're using to manage this project. How do we get money? We raise taxes. Nobody is safe. From, from tax raises, except for the poor people who don't make enough money to pay taxes. Kind of. Here's the kicker. When taxes go up and businesses have to pay more in taxes, they just raise their prices. They just pass that on to the customer because the current tax rate is built into their business model. They don't think ahead down the road and say, oh, well, we expect a 2% tax increase every year for the next 30 years, so we're going to build that into our pricing. They say, no, here's a tax rate right now. This is our price. For every dollar that we sell, we have to pay X amount in taxes. So the poor, the people who technically don't pay taxes, know that, you know, at the end of the year they get uh, all of their tax money back. 
those people still pay for it in the form of increased prices. So no one is safe from in, from tax hikes. And it's more than just income tax, risk capital gains tax, franchise tax. There's so many different types of taxes. So in my opinion, what's the solution? Well, you strip away those regulations. You strip away those unnecessary things that people have to follow that cost time and energy and money and resources. Take, for example, an an employer or a place of business that has to manage your sales tax, right? They have to go, they have to collect 8%, eight and a quarter percent from every person who comes there. They got to collect it, goes to your bank account. They then have to fill out a report. They have to tell the government how much they took in. They have to get them the money. And it's that burden is all placed on the business owner. Now, imagine if you didn't have that. If, if we can incorporate technology to suck the sales tax out of a transaction the minute it happened. The, then the business never has to see it go in their bank. Because I'll tell you, it sucks to see $10,000 come out of your bank account at the end of the month. Even though it's not your money, and even though you're just holding on to it, that's in your mind the whole time, but it still sucks. This is something that the blockchain will fix if people can accept it, if the government can adopt technology for once. If you don't know what blockchain is, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it right now. But it's just it's a new technology that's going to facilitate uh, transactions, the way we do money, the way we track assets, and I'm going to leave that at that. I've been witch hunt since day one. While we're on the topic of money, 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 money. So my, my dad's, one of his favorite lines was, you need more money, 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 money. Whenever he thought that all someone cared about was money. You know, we're, we all live in an echo chamber and i know that word is gets overused and everyone echo chamber this and echo chamber that but because we have the ability to select what we take in to a very very fine level we can we can control what we see what we read what we hear if you're not careful you can let that work you up you can let that make you mad and you can get pissed off at the other side for whatever it is well i'm i'm trying to start to recognize when things really don't matter. And I know that's a matter of opinion, right? Because everything has an anecdotal rebuttal. So I'm trying to figure out when things don't matter and I don't pay attention to them. I don't listen to it. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And I know that everyone has their own things that they care about, some that they don't care about. But I think if we're talking about the well-being of the country, we have to look at the percentage of people that this affects or the percentage of people who are upset. And in this specific case, I'm talking about the transgender and the transgender surgery and, and all that. And I know it's like, yeah, Brandon, that's sick, man. It's, it's messed up. You're just, just changing kids' genders. I agree. I completely agree. I did some research, and I found that the entire transgender reassignment surgery market cap. I know what you're saying. Well, you're using all those big fancy finance words like you somebody special. So all that means is the amount of money that gets spent on on gender reassignment surgery. In the entire year in the US of last year, twenty twenty one, was one point nine billion. And then there's probably someone out there who's saying Yeah, that's a lot of money. It's really not. If you look at the U.S., here's some other statistics from other industries. The, the pet product industry, 
$100 billion. Baseball equipment, $16 billion. Saudi Armco, Saudi Armco, the, the company who <laughs> produces oil in the Middle East, the, uh, Saudi Arabia, their state-owned business, $359 billion. Now, that's just one company, but you can kind of see the scope of the size of these industries, right? And so the amount of money that people spend on things tells us how popular something is or how, how big of a deal it really is. And so $1.9 billion really isn't that, it's not that big of a deal. And that doesn't even separate out the minors from the adults, right? So I, I couldn't find any information on transgender kid reassignments or, you know, drugs that parents are giving to their transgender kids. But I suspect it's less than like 10% of that. So I don't know. It's not, in my opinion, this is not worth fighting about. It's not worth arguing about. Now, if they teach transgender crap in your school and you don't like it, you fight with your school. You go up there and you raise hell. And I know that's happening. It's happening all over the place. It's not happening in Texas. I mean, maybe in Austin there's some freaks trying to do it, but it's not going to happen. And so since it doesn't affect you, and it doesn't affect any decent size of the population, just ignore it. Just ignore it. Do what the left did with Hunter Biden's laptop. They just ignored it. And they didn't address it. They didn't talk about it. You had a little little bit of, well, that's Russian disinformation at first. But after that, no one talked about it. I just feel like this whole speaking up for other people is it's just this part of this division that everyone hates. You know, if if transgender people need a voice they'll gather and they'll get all their transgender people together and the people who support transgender which which i guess is kind of what they're doing but no, no one's out to get these people but the the media in this i'm talking about the right media right now which i hate the fact that there's two sides of media but there is there's the right side and the right side knows exactly what to do to keep their listeners engaged or their viewers engaged and they use the same tactics that the left do they play on your emotions to get you mad. I don't want nobody teaching my kid that in my school. Damn it. And so what do they do? They just get mad about it. And they post on Facebook. And it works up everyone else. And it's just this, it's this synergy that's completely unnecessary. Now, I did hear, I read a story and watched a video about a hospital, I think in Boston, that's using state funding or government funding to help pay for kid gender reassignment and i'm in you know that's enough that's enough you got to push back against stuff like that but i think that should be within the state if that state wants that if california wants to use their tax dollars to pay for wieners to get chopped off by all means go there if you like it then you move to california you just hand over your checking account to them and you let them give it all away that's fine but i don't think in texas people need to be worried about what happens in california just like the people in california don't need to be worried about what's happening in Texas. The only reason that our federal government decided to uh, join together and make it the United States one was because th- there was currency issues, people were using different money in different places, and there was just there was, a, it was more of a convenience factor. It wasn't to regulate and put laws and requirements and mandates, and all that's come that's only come from the types of people that we're putting into office. 
that's only coming from people who want to, quote-unquote, get things done so that they can get reelected because they're not satisfied with, with the way that they acquire power as much as they are politics. Politics allows them to be powerful and in a position of power without having to earn it. You just have to win a contest. And there's people out there who really, really, really enjoy being in charge and being the deal makers and being the guy that gets things done and shoots the air gun fingers at people when he walks by. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but we're living in a clown world right now. We're, we're, we're being manipulated by the media so far that I, I suspect the people who are behind the social media and the big media companies are surprised at how easy this has been for them. I've listened to a bunch of interviews of old Mark Zuckerberg, and I really do think the guy was caught off guard. I think he started, well, I've gone into it before, but I'm not going to go. I think, I think these people are surprised at how easy the, the sheep are at being manipulated. Did y'all hear who rang the opening bell the other morning at the stock market? You, you'll never guess. You'll never, well, you might. You might guess because we're living in a clown world. Zelensky. Rodomir Zalinsky rang the opening bell at the stock market and the New York Stock Exchange in the U.S. Now, he wasn't there in person. He did it virtually, socially distanced, of course. Remember when everyone said, of course, after they said socially distanced so you wouldn't judge them? So, yeah, so <laughs> all the the financial news showed was like, you know, there's a big picture of Zelensky being projected into the place where someone normally stands to ring the opening bell. And so, for those of you who don't know, there's always some, a guest who gets to ring the opening bell of the stock market and, and the closing bell. And it's just it's a tradition. It's new companies. It's, it's all, all different people. And for whatever reason, they thought Vladimir Zelensky, the, the guy who's leading a country in the middle of a war, apparently, right now. And so, all that these news outlets showed was him, you know, up there like hitting, pretending like he was ringing the bell. And he, he said like a couple words. But he gave a little preamble speech. And it was something along the lines of, look it up yourself, but it was something along the lines of, we are ready for U.S. investments in Ukraine. We will be accepting. And like, he basically was sales pitching to for, for American companies to go invest in Ukraine. And that's what I'm like, we're living in a clown world. This is fake. There's no possible way this could be happening in the real world right now. So, here, yeah, here's what we have. We have the leader of a country who was an actor who had no leadership experience ushered into place by, by an oligarch of Ukraine. Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. They rush him into power. He takes over. Putin's like, I'm attacking you. He's like, what? He was like, I'm attacking you. They fight a little bit. America starts paying him, sending money over there. Money, 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 money to, to help them fight against Putin. They're not really fighting. No one's fighting. Nothing's happening. Politician tries to leave Ukraine. Wife gets caught with suitcases with $17 million in it. And fast forward to however many months later, and the, the guy who's supposed to be leading a country into war against Vladimir Putin is ringing the opening bell at the stock market. I want to do it because it's fun. It's fun to do bad things. So, yeah, I mean, it's really... A clown world. There's so much happening right now. There is so much going on. I hope you guys are taking note. I hope you are. I mean, Zelensky's ringing the bell. You got the FBI looking into Trump, raided his palace, the insurrection of the Mar-a-Lago. You got Pelosi going to Taiwan 
threatening to just go anyway, even though they don't want her to go. She says she's going to go there because she thinks China is a free country. Oil prices going through the roof. Countries going bankrupt. What else? China. China's on the verge of economic collapse. I mean, so much is happening right now. And <laughs> we're over here arguing about transgender people. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Speaking of oil prices, I briefly mentioned Saudia Armco. And they're, I think, well, they're the largest oil company in the world. Now, they're owned by Saudi Arabia. The advantage that the Middle East has in oil that we don't have is, number one, they don't have to follow any regulations. They're dirty. They don't keep up with the EPA. Nobody produces oil or energy cleaner than the U.S., and that's a fact, Jack. Well, maybe like Norway, but they don't count because they're so small. So Saudi Armco reported a quarterly earnings last quarter. Now, that's just for three months of the year of $8.4 billion. $8.4 billion. Just to give you an idea, that's profit, right? That's not their sales. That's how much money they put in the bank when it's all said and done. Because they have access to easy oil, it's cheap, it's easy to get to, it's just right underneath the ground. And because they don't follow any rules, they have very, very, very high profit margins. But that's more than Apple, Facebook, Google, and Tesla combined. Combined. Those are the four largest countries, countries, four largest companies in the world, or within the top six. And you got one company who made more profit than all of them put together. Okay? Now, that's what you call big oil. And so why does that piss me off? Why, why, why do I even care? Who cares? I mean, it's just oil. You just put the gas in the car. The car goes, who cares? We need all electric cars anyway. Well, that money could have been here in the U.S. A large chunk of it could have been here. That could have been drilling for oil here. Could have been refining oil here. It, but instead, we have regulations in place that make it more difficult and more costly to produce oil right here in our own backyard. And since oil is a global commodity, you can ship it, you can move it, it's easy to transport it. The market will go wherever it's cheapest, right? I mean, you go to the cheapest gas station because you want the cheapest gas. Now, every now and then you might not go to the ones that are in the bad part of town. But for the most part, you know the gas stations around you that have the cheapest fuel. Unless you're just so rich that the price of fuel doesn't matter to you. In which case... You should be paying your fair share. So we've got this Saudi Arabian company who makes more money than the four other largest companies in the world combined. And now, not only did we miss out on all that money, let, 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 me, let me explain to you how that, how that would work a little bit. Think about it like this. If you have a company and you drill for oil, this is how, this is how money works. You go out and you, you acquire the necessary equipment. You go out and you rent the rig from someone. You need guys to operate that rig. You need guys to, to put the oil in the trucks and move it to the refineries, the guys who run the refineries. So you see that the money flows around that oil. But it also does this. Never mind gypsy barking in the back. That's for authenticity. So think about it like this. The guys who are working on the site, they got families. They're sending money back to their families. Their families are buying houses. They're buying cars. They're buying clothes for their kids. The guys who own the companies that are building the houses for the oil field workers, they're making profits from their houses. They're able to hire framers and window guys and carpet guys. The carpet guys, they take their money home, and what do they do? They go buy a house with it. Well, 
<laughs> it's all a cycle. You see how the it just keeps flowing. Whenever money stays in a society or locally, it just keeps multiplying. It grows and moves around, and that's good. It's not good whenever we have to take the money out of our economy and go stick it in Saudi Arabia's economy. It's gone for good. It doesn't do anything. It does no one any good. But we've shot ourselves in the foot. We create too many regulations to where oil companies are like, well, you know what, we're not, we're not going to do it because we can't make money. So we can't produce oil if we're not profitable, right? We're not gonna, it's not a charity. We're not going to pay money to produce oil. We have a standard level of profit that we're not willing to take a risk unless we can exceed that number. And the more rules and regulations that get in place, the more it costs to meet them. So the producers of oil finally say, nope, we're not doing any more. We're just going to we're gonna go do something else. We're going to make natural gas. We're going to make kerosene, whatever. They go find something else to do. It's like I've always said, I'm going to say again, peel back more regulations. We're never going to make it out of this if we don't. The building is on fire. You know what I'm tired of? What I'm completely tired of? And then I'm going to come back to uh, the whole regulations thing a little bit, kind of. But I'm tired of everyone. Not everyone. I'm tired of the people who say. Everything is a threat to our democracy. I'm so sick of hearing that because it's nowhere near true. A threat to our democracy. Let's break that down a little bit. If someone's a threat to our democracy, that means there's a likelihood or it's plausible or they could possibly just take over. And they could, first of all, we don't have a democracy. We have, we have a republic. But let's just say for the sake of arguing with these fools that we have a democracy. And if someone's a threat to it, that means it's in danger of being taken over. Here's what these people don't understand. And of course, this is referring to Trump, right? He's a threat to our democracy. Threat to our demo- I played in the news clip on here before that has thousands of Sinclair stations talking about him being a threat to our democracy. Remember, half the people voted for him. Half the people voted for this guy. These people are so arrogant and so cocky that they think they know better than the other half of the country. It was a close race. If Biden won fair and square, which I don't think he did, but if he did, it was like decided by a small number of votes. And so how can you say that one man is a threat to our democracy? Now, I understand Hitler was elected, right? He was chosen by the people. But he turned out to do some very bad things. He didn't run on a campaign saying that we're going to kill all the Jews and exterminate them from our society. He never said that. He kind of just started quietly doing it in the background. So do we think that Trump's like that? No, I don't think so. He was given four years. He didn't put anyone in any prison camps to kill him. So why would we assume he's going to do it again? But a threat to our democracy. Okay, so let's break it down a little bit more. Okay, so we've got two parties. Throw away the words Republican and Democrat. Throw those out for, for a second. got two parties. One party likes less government involvement. They like less government power. They want the power to be in the hands of the people. Okay? You have another group who thinks that there should be more regulations and more centralized power and the government making decisions on behalf of the people and to protect them. So you have two groups. Now, how can you accuse the group, the first group, of being a threat to our democracy when their entire platform 
is less control, less regulation, less centralized power. And people just buy into it because it's emotional. And they don't think for themselves. And they don't question things. They just do things like, follow the science. And so because they're being told all day long that Trump's a threat to our democracy. Hey, if we if Trump was a threat to our democracy, I think the military would just let it go. You think they would just be like, yeah, it's cool. He's, you know, we, we see what he's doing and there's a chance that he may just take over. You think they would just lay down? No, they wouldn't. They would, they would stop him. They would jump in and say, no, dude, if you're truly a threat to our democracy, we will stop you. And I still think that holds true. If, he, if Trump actually got in and started making decisions that were dictator-esque, people would do something. People wouldn't just sit around. Well, maybe they would, like they do with their taxes. They just sit around and say, well, I guess it's just, Trump's just killing all the Jews, just putting them in there, burning them all up. No, I don't think that will happen. I don't think it'll happen. I've been witch hunt since day one. Okay. I want to go back to something I kind of briefly mentioned, and that is regulations. So I think we're going to get to a point where all y'all are going to wish that we had just gave Putin the Ukraine from day one because he is causing a mess over there. It's turning into a ruckus. If you haven't heard, according to <laughs> the White House spokesperson, Jean Saint-Pierre Pierre-Hyon-Chan, whatever her name is, the minority lesbian immigrant left-handed contortionist midget black woman says that Putin cut off the Nordstrom One <laughs> pipeline, which she really meant to say Nord Stream One. So he cut off the pipeline to Europe. This is a major gas pipeline that goes to Europe that supplies Germany and all the other countries around it with natural gas. So Putin says, you know what? You guys are acting foolish. You're trying to put the Western uh, sanctions on me. How about I just cut off your gas and I sell it to someone else like China? So Europe is now going to be faced with exorbitantly high. Well, they already are. I think their natural gas prices have gone up like 10 or 15x. So let's just say your gas bill was $100. And your electric bill is $100. Now they're each $1,000. So that's how much prices have gone up. So this leader, let's see who this person is. Her name is, uh, what is this person's name? Ursula von der Leyen. Now, I don't know, I don't know who, she, who she be or what she do or where she go, but she... she's in the EU, the European Union. She's some leader. I don't know. I don't know. I don't keep up with the European politics or leaders of I just don't have time. So Ursula Wunder, whatever, whatever, is proposing that the European Union start doing like uh, basically a Robin Hood plan from energy companies. So remember, Putin cut off the supply. He cut the supply of natural gas. Remember what happens when you decrease the supply without changing the demand? What happens to prices? Say it out loud. They go up right so you got all these energy companies in europe that are just making bukus of money just print money because prices are going up because there's less supply so people are willing to pay a higher price because some people have to have it no matter what it costs they have to have it and so how do you allocate a limited resource when you have a demand that's higher for it than the amount that you have on hand you raise the price 
Because how else would you allocate it, right? Would you just flip coins and those who flip heads gets the power and those who don't, don't get power? Or do you trust the government to say, you get power today, you get power today, you don't get power today, right? Which would you rather have? The prices go up and those who pay more get more? Or the government get to pick who gets power and who doesn't? So this woman, Ursula Wunder, whatever, whatever, is just furious at how much money these energy companies are making right now. And they're just, they never planned for these profits. It's just too much. There's no risk involved and they're making too much money. So what is she going to do? She's going to take the money from the energy companies that are making too much and give it to other energy companies who, who aren't, aren't making as much or that aren't as profitable. Right? So I don't know if she didn't realize this or if it was part of her plan, but it's very, very cheap to produce renewable energy, wind and solar. It's cheap to produce it. The hardest thing we have is storing it and transporting it. So all these companies that are the most profitable right now are these green energy companies because they can produce electricity for cheaper than anyone else. Now they sell it to the grid and energy gets sold on the open market at the highest rate, right? So if we're all in one area, you own an energy company, I own an energy company, and Fred owns an energy company, and we're all in Texas. We can all supply energy to Texas. How do we know what to charge? We need to keep rates consistent. So we all agree that here's my cost, here's how much I need to make, and then here's how you know, so we just, I need to sell my electricity for this. So then they go to the, the guy that has the highest costs, and it's like the prices are based off what it costs him to make electricity. Because you don't want to have, you know, you don't want to have electricity that's half the price in San Antonio as it is Houston. Because then companies would leave San Antonio and go to Houston. So they've all kind of agreed that we're going to sell it for the highest rate that that it takes us to produce, the, the most expensive guy. And we all get to sell it for that much. So the incentive is to produce it for as cheap as you can because you already know what you're going to sell it for. Well, these green energy companies produce it for way less than the traditional natural gas burning companies who burn natural gas to produce electricity. So they're the ones that are going to get their profits cut. And she's just talking about like, if you make, if you have a certain amount of revenue, which she probably meant profits, but when I was listening to her speech, she said revenue. And so anyone that makes more than this, we're cutting it. We're cutting it back. You're making too much. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this thinking, okay, either I'm missing something or, or this is stupid. This is a terrible idea. Because what will happen? It, these energy companies will say, then we're not going to produce energy. We can, we can take our money, we can take our capital and go invest it in something else, somewhere else, and make money with it. But we're not going to put, put things at risk and you tell us the maximum we can make. So this is what's called price controls. This is what happened in Venezuela Whenever they looked around and they thought, wait, wait a minute, we, we can't buy toilet paper in this country. There's no toilet paper available. Well, what happened? The government said, this is the most you can sell toilet paper for. You cannot sell toilet paper for any more than this. So what happened? The people who made toilet paper quit making toilet paper because they said, it's not worth it. We can't make any money. We can't make any profit because they were going through a hyperinflationary period. Sound familiar? So what could happen? And I don't know. Maybe she's got something up her sleeve that I'm too stupid to see or that she hasn't talked about. But if this continues, as the laws of economics tell us, this is going to push the prices up even more because you will have people who leave the industry. 
Now, maybe the profits are so great that people will just say, okay, that's fine. You can just take um, all the money that we've been making and just give it to the other companies because they're literally going to be taking money from the green energy companies and giving it to the legacy coal and natural gas companies, which is the, the opposite of what everyone's screaming to do right now. And this is why we're just, there's going to be a lot of people who put the Ukraine flag on their Instagram profile and they wear the Ukraine button and they put the Ukraine flag outside their house. A lot of these people are going to think, look up one day and say, man, we should have just let, we should have just let Vladimir have the Ukraine and then our oil would be the same price and electricity would be the same price. And you know what? The people that lived in Ukraine that wanted to go be part of Russia, their wish would have come true. And the same thing's happening in the UK. They're talking about making a cap on the, the price of energy. It, these things don't work. They have never, ever, ever worked. Just think about it. If you had a toy gun business and you made toy guns, then all of a sudden the government came to you and they said, hey, um, you're making too much money on your toy guns. We're going to take some, and here's the most you can sell it for. <laughs> You'd be like, well, I know. I'm getting out of the toy gun business. This is not this is not a difficult concept. This the the types of people who implement this are the types of people that don't understand economics. And you have economists in the background saying, "Yo yo, time out. It's not going to work. This is not going to work." And you have these group of people who think that they're smarter than everyone else and that they need to be the one making the laws telling the economists, "Um, y'all just never did it right. We have a new way of doing this." This is the same thing what happened with the people who were there. They're called the Modern Monetary Theory Group. And right around the time COVID hit and the government started printing money, you had guys like me screaming, you cannot do this. We're going to see big inflation. You cannot do this. It's going to mess up the supply chains. And then you had these little hipsters in their dark rim glasses and their skinny jeans saying, actually, things are different this time and we can print money without inflation. Yeah, dude. How's that working out for you, buddy? Your modern monetary theory didn't hold up too well, did it? You see, guys like Putin and Valensky, they're not they're not like Americans. They're not like they're not like the British. These are hardcore Eastern European slash Russian bruisers, okay? These aren't the guys who say, Oh, we should we should work together. No. These are the kind of guys that there can be two guys walking down a street and they're walking towards each other and no one says a word to the other one. They make eye contact in a certain way and they just start fighting with no one else around. These are the kind of people that have so much pride that they will go down in flames rather than lose a battle. These aren't people like we're used to in the U.S. And so I think that that Zelensky and Putin, if they're not in bed together, if they don't have a deal under the table... They'll just keep running this thing into the ground. And we'll look back and we'll say, dude, we should have just gave Putin the Ukraine. All along, he was saying, I will take Ukraine. 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 And then we all flip out when he puts everyone on the border. And we're being told, well, this is just military exercise. And we believe him. And then look, look, look now. Look now. He cuts off the natural gas to Germany. They're having to cap the prices of energy. Great Britain. Give the freaking man in Ukraine. Just be done with this. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him in a uh, foot. Through an international effort to pressure. 
Doing it in our suburbs of pressure. Okay, last topic of the day, I think. You never know. You never know. You know, these things don't go 30 to 45 minutes anymore. They're like an hour plus. So if you don't like it, just ask for a refund. I'll be glad to give you your money back. I saw a story the other day. Y'all remember Pocahontas, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, who claimed to be a minority, and then they made her do a DNA test, and she came back to be like one sixty-four thousandth of an American Indian. So Trump started calling her Pocahontas, which I thought is highly funny. But anyway, she is anti-cryptocurrency, and that's fine. I get it. She's old. She's silly. She doesn't understand economics, right? So, okay, whatever. But don't bring your silliness to the rest of <laughs> to the rest of us. She has been asking the Meta or Facebook, so what are you going to do to stop cryptocurrency scams on your platform? <laughs> and I saw that and I thought, you know what? The only reason she cares about these scams is because she's the kind of person who would fall for them. Because I see these all the time. And I'm 43. My 40, I'm 44. I'm a 44-year-old man. You ever notice how sometimes black people will always tell you that I'm a 44-year-old black man if, they, if they're not in person? Pay attention because it's, it happens and it's funny to me. So I'm a 44-year-old white man and I don't – I see these scams and I think, okay, do people really fall for these? And then I see Elizabeth Warren get all mad at these crypto scams. And for those of you who haven't seen them, it'll be like comments, you know, in a – in uh, Instagram or YouTube feed that says like message me for free crypto. And then you message them and they ask you for, you know, a code or you say, or they tell you, you know, send me two Bitcoin and I'll send you four back. It's, it's things that don't make sense. Right? So most people know not to mess with that. But if you're older and crypto's new, you're susceptible to falling to this. And so I just thought it's funny because if I was Elizabeth Warren, I would never tell Facebook, like, oh, what are you going to do to stop scams, right? A government employee telling a private business, what are you going to do to stop this? Chances are the only people falling for these are 50, 55 plus, you know, I don't know, maybe 45. But my whole point is the government should never tell businesses what they should do to stop scammers. It's not the government's job to keep scammers from scamming people. And I know you might be thinking, well, Brandon, that's not right. We have to have somebody looking out for people. Here's the analogy that I'm going to make. Technically, I guess it's not an analogy. But learning only takes place whenever people are allowed to make a decision and then they make the wrong decision. This happens with little kids. This happens with dogs. This happens with adults. This happens our entire lives. We may not realize it. As we get older, the learning happens faster and faster. But just take this example. Let's just say you take a seven, eight-year-old kid, and you're in a house, and you tell the kid, hey, I'm going to incentivize you. I'm going to give you $5. Go find my hat as fast as you can. And so you have to incentivize them to make them motivated to do it. Otherwise, they'd just be like, no, I'm not finding your hat. So you say, hey, five bucks, go find my hat. And they run into the guest bedroom. And they run into their bedroom. And they're looking for it furiously. And they go into the master bedroom. And they go in the study. And then finally, you're like, hey, it's, it's over there on the couch underneath the cushion. And so the kid runs over there, lifts the couch cushion up, grabs it, and hands you the hat, and you give him the five bucks. Okay? Then you do it again the next day. 
And every day, you tell the kid, hey, here's where it is. A little bit sooner, a little bit sooner, a little bit sooner each day. Eventually, what's going to happen? You're going to tell the kid to go find his hat or go find your hat. And he's going to look at you and go, where is it? Because you've been telling him this whole time where it was. Whereas if you required him to go on his own each time and look for it, he's going to get faster and faster and faster and faster and more efficient. And so this is the thing that I think whenever I hear people say that the government needs to do this and the government needs to protect us from that. Because the more that they protect us, the more that they shield us, the less we'll be able to navigate things on our own. And the more we have to depend on the government. This also happens in dog training. Without getting too boring, when you train a retriever to go out and look for a bird, you teach them two things. Number one, run out there, use your own eyes, find the bird, and bring it back. And number two, sometimes the dog doesn't know where the bird is. So you use whistles and hand signals to get them to the bird. And you'll see a dog that has been told to stop and look at the owner for direction. You'll see it happen. The dogs will do it on their own. It's because after enough times of them looking, the owner just gets frustrated and they blow the whistle. So the dog stops and looks at him. The owner gives them directions on where to go. And so it's called popping. Eventually, the dogs will just do it without you having to blow the whistle because they're like, oh, every single time I do this and I can't find the bird, he blows the whistle and he shows me where it is. Well, eventually, the dog gets very, very bad at being able to use its own eyes because he hasn't had enough repetitions. And this, this type of learning it doesn't just happen with kids and dogs. It happens through adults all the way on to we can't make decisions anymore. And it sucks. But in my opinion, the freedom is worth the pain. The, the, the pain of going through this learning curve is worth it on the other side of the deal because you have the freedom, right? We, we're so tied to this idea of money being tied to the government. People can't conceptualize the idea that we don't need the government to manage money or do anything with money. So let's just use crypto. It's safe. It's secure. If, if we just switched overnight, it would be a disaster, right? Because so many people depend on the government's tie to money and the way the government tweaks it and plays with it. And there are some downfalls. There are some things that wouldn't happen, but there are some things that would, would happen. And it keeps us from being so dependent on the government for our economy, for all the things that we should be able to control as consumers and citizens. And so, you know, you've got people like Pocahontas who's out to protect her, her and her boomer circle who's just getting scammed left and right, just sending people crypto. And she has good intentions. She wants to help people. She wants to keep people from getting scammed. But she's not the kind of person who thinks that sacrifices should be made and that people, in order to learn, they're going to have to make some mistakes. And the types of people who end up in the government posing as leaders are not the types of people who understand things like we need to let the people learn. We need, we need there to be some, some bad things so that this doesn't happen again and that people don't rely on the government. To me, that is just a, it's a beautiful concept. And people would have heightened awareness. See, we've already forgotten We've already become too trusting. We've already just, I mean, how many people get scammed a day from Nigerian scammers? I mean, it happens all the time. But I'd be willing to bet it's going down each year. It's becoming less and less and less. Now, what I would be okay with is more severe punishments for Nigerian scammers, or any scammers for that matter. 
I'm a big fan, if you hadn't figured it out already, of lots of freedom and hard punishment. So the moral of the story is, let us be humans. Let us make mistakes so that we can learn from them and we don't become reliant on these people who lead this government for all the wrong reasons, with all the wrong mindsets, and all the wrong incentives. Okay, I think that's going to do it. One hour, eight minutes, 39 seconds. I just got a text message from H-E-B who, you know, I went through a phase there where I got my groceries delivered to my house. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to save that $8 and just pick them up on the way home. So I did started doing curbside. Well, today I got tied up at the brewery, got home later than I wanted to. I didn't want to, I didn't have it scheduled to go pick up site, scheduled a delivery, and just got a, a text message saying, oh, some of your items were out of stock. And then I thought, when was the last time I didn't get one of these notifications? Since I started ordering groceries, which happened like right when everybody started being terrified of the COVID and I didn't want to participate in the mask nonsense, I started ordering my groceries. And I would just say, just just leave them on the porch to keep everyone safe. And I didn't have to deal with anyone. And so ever since then, there's been one time. So we're talking... Um, we're talking, let's see, March, April, May, May of 2021 until September of 2022. I've had one order of groceries or something wasn't out of stock. So l- let that be a I told you so moment, right? Y'all remember, go back and listen to my old episodes from right in the COVID days. Two weeks to flatten the curve. Oh, yeah. No, you want this? Nope. Sorry, we're out. Oh, you want... Sorry. Sorry to inconvenience you. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah, there's a reason I live in America. That's because I want everything cheap, fast, and easy. Get over it. I had the great honor of being arrested with our UN ambassador on the streets of Soweto trying to get to see him on Robbins Island. When I said arrested, I meant I was not able to... I was not able to move. Cops... Opperconners would not let me go with them, made me stay where I was. I guess I, I wasn't arrested. I was stopped. Their luxury homes and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Uh, yeah. Believe it or not, that is an actual clip. I didn't I didn't run it back and play it through the middle and stop it. That that is an actual clip. Their luxury homes and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kleptocracy and clip the guys who are the kleptocracies. I love that one part where he gets a little frustrated with himself. Anyway. All right, guys. That's it. I appreciate you listening to Life in Paradise podcast, the only podcast on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. Hope everyone has a great week. Find some funny videos, laugh at some politicians, call people out for their stupid calamities, speak your mind. Don't be afraid of your opinions. And once again, keep it tranquilo. End of message. <laughs>